Hello, my friends. I am very excited. Some special news today. We just finished recording our first masterclass, which covers the five biggest actions you can implement today to kickstart your leadership transformation and is jam-packed with insights that you can leverage to propel yourself and your team forward. Visit leaderbits.io. You can click on it. It's on the homepage and it's absolutely complimentary. Today, we are talking to Moak O, the CTO at Macari, and we discuss going beyond engineering to understand the why, optimizing your relationship with your venture capital partners, and the difference between a good engineer and a great engineer. All of this right here, right now on the Modern CTO Podcast. Here we go. This is the Modern CTO Podcast. I, I was looking through your profile. You've uh-huh. had like an amazing career, man. Uh, yeah, it, it looks like, like that on paper. <laughs> <laughs> right? <laughs> when I get introduced before talks, they say all these great things and I'm like, that sounds like good, but that's not how I feel inside. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was, yeah, it was a lot of, uh, yeah, ups and downs, of course. Uh, I think uh, each of them uh, had their own little stories. And uh, uh, I don't know, it's, it was a good journey so far. It is. So you ended up now, was PayPal or Samsung, which came first? Uh, PayPal came first. Okay. And I'm assuming you were like in that little room with Musk and his brother showering at the YMCA with them. No, 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 no. no. <laughs> that was, uh, <laughs> I was way after. So I went to uh, PayPal via uh, an acquisition of a company called Ware, um, W-H-E-R-E. It, it was a, actually a startup from Boston. And uh, that was, acquisition was like in early 2010, 2011, um, somewhere there. Um, and uh, where was a company that was uh, around before, of course. And uh, what we did was a lot of location-based services. And at that time, the smartphones were coming up um, uh, and uh, GPSs were not yet like embedded into our everyday lives, like in our smartphone. Um, so lots of different sort of tinkering with hardware, GPS hardware from sort of pet tracking, definitely ahead of um, the times, of course. Uh, we did a lot of mobile location-based advertising. Uh, there was a feature phone application that we did for um, AT&T. was very much like Yelp. Um, so we can find places on your flip phone. Um, bunch of stuff that was done there. And that whole, whole sort of um, technology and mobile team, we're about 130, 150 people. Um, we were bought by PayPal um, at that time. And then I ended up moving to San Jose um, after the acquisition. Um, and then it was there for about a year and a half or so. Very cool. And then, you, and then you're like, I need to go make TVs. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, PayPal is like doing amazingly well. And uh, uh, are, they, are they still doing amazingly well? Oh, yeah, I think so. Okay. I think so. I, mean, I don't follow it. Yeah. What was that? I don't follow it, but I oh, kept hearing there's like, they were doing something with eBay, then they were coming together with eBay, and now they're separating from eBay. And it's like, that's yeah. the end of my experience. I just, whenever they make a headline, I hear about them. Yeah, I, I mean, the anything like online payments, like PayPal is still the king. Um, when I When we got acquired, eBay and PayPal were the same company. Um, and of course, we at the executive level, there's constant discussions about uh, should PayPal be separated or not. And there's always debates and uh, healthy debates about it. Um, of course, I left and then they got separated and PayPal's just like shooting way up in terms of just look, if you just look at the market cap uh, versus eBay right now, of course, I mean, they're much bigger. Uh, they're three times bigger right now, actually. Um, before when it started, it was basically a split. It's fairly the same size. And then now, you know, PayPal uh, is doing 
I think, quite well. I mean, there are challenges, of course, and there's all these other um, challenges coming into that space constantly. Things are constantly shifting around. Different types of cryptocurrency are coming out. Yeah. And there's never any kind of ending to, um, I guess, innovation that's happening in fintech space. But I feel like having looked at what PayPal is capable of, I have all the faith that they will continue to be a significant player in the fintech space for sure. Um, yeah. Nice. And so you're not a stranger of money either because I saw that you have some experience with venture capital. You're an entrepreneur in residence somewhere. Tell me a little bit mm -hmm. about that. Are you super active? Do you just provide advice to some of the, the founders? Ah, uh, yeah. Um, I think for me, it's more being in the the arena more so than um, investing. That that's fun. Um, it's hard to be a coach without playing for me. So I do want to play. I do want to be involved. I want to op operationalize companies, um, and that's really what I think makes a difference between. Uh, a good company and great company is actually being in there and making sure that, you know, you add value every day um, and you gotta, you gotta earn it every day. I think that I really believe that's an important aspect of, of making companies awesome. Um, I think there are a lot of venture capitalists, um, of course, that are amazing. Uh, and sometimes, I mean, you have to be patient in that game because, there are a lot of misses than hits, of course, and uh, it's it's hard. I'm, I'm sure, like a lot of people who are VCs now, are I'm sure they're itching to try to help, but it's more influence that you have as a lever than than actual action. And I think for me, I'm, you know, I'm just too impatient for that. So you know, I tried it for a while and, uh, and started my own company, which I, was called Moju Labs. Uh, raised a little bit of money. It was hard. It was in the social, uh, social space. And it was really hard. And, you know, we ended up folding the company. But again, that was a huge learning experience for me. And you get to know about yourself more and more as you sort of experience these things and go through really, really difficult times. And those are the times when I think I've learned the most. Do I want to ever do that again? Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. I just finished, well, I didn't just finish, but in November, I finished raising my first round of money. Like first time mm -hmm. ever doing it. I'd always been on the due diligence side, like working with yeah. venture capital companies, just taking a look at their investments and giving my technical opinion from a how clean is this code base is it scalable what's going to happen if we inject capital into it and mm -hmm. you know are these people really that talented or or not and so so that was my experience before so i'd seen a, i'd been around it and kind of been in the space but i had never like done it like raised the capital mm -hmm. Yep. And so when I went to go do it, I was like, oh man, this is tough because you want to be back at the business, like yeah. making the business better. But instead you, you're like, you're at the business and then you have to stop mentally and then go raise money. And yeah, yeah. and it, it was just this um, experience. Luckily we raised you know, enough money so that I didn't have to be constantly on the road. That's, and that's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah. Thank you. And I, I got, I had a really good partner with the whole entire process that was just really great. So it went, it went about as smooth as I think it could go, but it was still hard. Like it was still really hard. Yeah. It, it does suck up a lot of your time and energy and, but then you're, you're mining for oxygen and yeah. you can't do without it. And I know it's, you have to breathe and you got to get to the next level. And the, but the other thing also is that, I think finding the right sort of investors as partners is a very important piece. I think a lot of uh, entrepreneurs would think that money is money, but that's, I don't think that's true. Um, for me, if you have, yeah, the relationships, the doors they can open with a single phone call, some of these just magical things that they've just stacked up over many decades of experience. Uh, that's truly, truly, I think, invaluable. So uh, oftentimes you go for less money, but more about the relationship um, than not. Uh, 
but yeah, and of course, uh, uh, that will might lead to some more oxygen, um, and it can keep going uh, after that as well. But uh, yeah, it's it's a necessary. I wouldn't say evil. It's a necessary, I guess, experience and um, tools of the trade that you you need. Because again, I think you're, you'll you'll never run out uh, run out of not needing money. You always need money. So you know, I, I think. Raising money for some, it's fun. For a lot of us, it's it's a pain in the ass. But you know, you got to do it. Got to do it well. Um, yeah. Yeah, it's different than you imagine. Like at first, you, I guess, I don't, I, don't, I haven't had to articulate this before, so I'm just going free here. But <laughs> but at first, it's like you imagine you go, you present, you get money. But like yeah. that's not it at all. It's like you get introduced, you start building a relationship, you develop this relationship over a couple months. They get to know you, you get to know them. Things get to start to get more serious. Due diligence happens. They talk to your customers. They vet your stuff. Then you start talking about some money and some terms. And it's like, it's, and then the actual point where the money happens is like when the financial transaction occurs. Like it's not done until you sign the shares. They're purchasing the shares. And so like, it's like this entire process and you never know it's done until the moment it's actually inked. And yeah, uh, that's right. That's totally right. Yeah. It takes a lot of faith and relationships and trust on both sides. And then, you know, you have to do what you say you're going to do. That's like the most important thing. It's like you take the money to do A, B, and C, you better report on A, B, and C. And, uh, but then what, I guess the really great people, like all the relationships I formed and get this. So I did a, the theme of a technology leadership company, right? Uh-huh. It happened because of the podcast. People were saying, hey, we hear you talk to great leaders. How do we make our leaders great? I said, I don't know. Good luck with that. <laughs> <laughs> and then they kept asking. So I said, all right, well, people are knocking on your front door for lemonade. Open up a lemonade stand, right? So technology leadership, it's an education online slash mentoring space, right? This fund I got introduced to, the five principles behind it all had technology education exits. Mm-hmm. And I was like, whoa, what wow. are the odds of that? Right. Yeah. So I said, all right, even if you guys don't invest in me, just tell me, like, tell me where I need to be going because you, you all five got together from selling your technology education companies and I need your help because that's right. what I have. Yeah. And so they've been so useful every, every like, you know, 45 days I call them up, ask for more introductions. Cause like they don't give you everybody at once. Like you ask for an introduction or two and you wait and then you ask, there should be a course on like optimizing your relationship with your VC partner. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's why there's, I mean, of course, board meetings, but also um, I think constant communications, even outside of that makes sense because as you're going through a specific problem or an issue and as you talk about them, you know, they'll be like, wait a minute, I know so-and-so who did so-and-so and they were trying to solve similar problems. Maybe you guys can talk. So there are all these like serendipitous things that happen and only way to make that happen is for you to act upon it. You have to make those, um, be proactive about reaching out, proactive about communicating, proactive about asking for help. I think those are just important aspects of like not just fundraising but just building relationships and, and of course leading too you know i read caesar it left you a very nice endorsement on linkedin <laughs> uh, from samsung yes oh okay yeah <laughs> caesar caesar yeah. yeah and and he was talking about your ability to create change within an organization big organization but you gave the team an empowered small feel Talk to me a little bit about leadership, how you run your teams. Uh, boy, that's, that's tough. Um, there, there's no single formula that works because every single interaction with every different person is different. But I do believe in one thing is that having a strong opinion helps. Um, I think uh, Andreessen Horowitz, uh, Mark Andreessen said uh, his meetings are held with uh, uh, strong opinions loosely held, which I thought made a lot of sense to me. So um, without just talking about things that are maybe irrelevant or not that informational, um, I think 
having people have a strong stance. I think that's a, I think it's a good place to start. And then I like the loosely held part because it's not like you hold on to that and that's the best thing and you're trying to convince everyone else. And the thing I like is you have a stance. I'm like, I think this is a strong stance because of X, Y, Z. And what do you guys think? And I'm like waiting for some gems to come and tell me I'm wrong or tell me how to improve that model or something. And I think those are the, the sort of important conversations that, you know, leaders should constantly have. Uh, for me, I think leading also is asking the right questions more than knowing the answers. Uh, at this point, there are just way too many things from technologies to different platforms to uh, topics and uh, subject matters that I will never be an expert in all of them. So uh, then what do you do? How do you add value? And I think ultimately it boils down to um, making sure that we are all well aligned, well communicating, um, leading by example, of course. And again, like just setting up so that we have healthy but strong discussions and arguments that will make us better in terms of um, solving a problem or solving, uh, you know, it be a technical problem or a business problem, uh, having an honest discussion and sort of really enabling that. I think that's uh, where, I, I, where I aspire to go and constantly trying to train myself to do that. And of course, I mean, there are times you just want to get stuff done and I'm just pounding my table, like, when is this going to be done? How do we get, to go? How do we get there faster? Uh, what do we need to do? And I'm more in that mode these days, mainly because I feel like we're at wartime. We're not at peacetime, we're at wartime. Um, and during the wartime, the way we really need to lead is make sure that we can get ahead um, with and have every edge that we can. And of course, that's not just about working smart, but you have to work hard. You have to perspire every day, come in, add value every day. Um, and uh, so not just sort of leading by examples, asking the right questions, but also making sure that we're aligned and just constantly at it every day. That, that's, I think that's sort of what, you know, at least leadership, sure. Um, but that's how I want us to win, though. And ultimately, it's more, well, it's not the means to an end kind of discussion, but also the winning becomes very important right now for us. Um, and, you know, it's, it's, I feel like we're just getting started, too, so I think, which is a very good um, place in the market, I think. Yeah, it's like that day one mentality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, hey, it's like get, get together, uh, plan, ideate, sprint next again and how do we get better was this better than the last one we did if yes then do it again do it again do it again and that's yeah it's it's that's where we really need to be and ultimately i think if you're in an i guess arena or the trenches i think people who have the grit ultimately wins out i mean the smarts are dime a dozen like i'm I'm pretty smart. You're smart. There are tons of people who are smart. Then what? Like, how do you, what's the next step? You know, can you be creative? Like the lots of people who are creative. At the end of the day, I think what differentiates winners um, from people who are not is that they have the grit and they have, they can go in every day and just grind it out. And ultimately it's, it comes down to last man or last woman standing. And it's, it's really in the marketplace now, it's like really no different in anywhere else um, besides, you know, from arena versus marketplaces. So I, 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 I'm very much, it feels like kind of like MMA. Yeah. Right. <laughs> it's like, it, it's, you have to be, have the, have the, the conditioning and, and everything else. And you have to be good at everything. But at the end of the day, all things being equal, the grit that you have will win. And I, I do believe that, yeah. I like that book too, the Grit book, where they actually studied grit. Have you read that one? I think I've read it a long time ago. Yeah, she started the beginning of the book. She's talking, it's a female voice author, and she's uh -huh. talking about how she analyzed how people made it through some military training. Like what mm -hmm. West Point graduates, that's what it was. It yeah. was like graduates of West Point. 
and then she went and found like people who were like famous and popular for different things and like what was yeah. their persistence and it was like these slow incremental improvements over time this concept that you don't find your passion you develop it and let it kill you you know like yeah right yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and like all yeah. these very real and raw things and so i i enjoyed that book quite a bit as i'm doing harder things that require yeah. more discipline i had to learn about discipline because i used to think it was something that like what happened when you got in trouble and right. so my mind had to rewire with it's the ability to do something you don't want to do that'll benefit you and you know you should do it like right. you know to go ahead and do that and so yeah. i found that discipline in one area of your life is like tugs on disciplines in other like you're either slowly building your discipline up overall or you're slowly breaking it down and so yeah. doing things like forcing myself to wake up at 5 a.m and go running right and then forcing myself not to think about work during that run and instead yeah. just think about what can I do to be slightly better than yesterday? You know, uh -huh. I've got yeah. this like monologue that runs in my, as I'm running, you know, in my neighborhood in the morning, it's saying like, how can I get better? What's the one thing I can do? And then instantly my mind starts trying to think about work and details and to do's and I have to like spit. It's so much energy to like suppress that and just say, no, like, why am I happy? Why am I grateful? Like, what can I do to be better? And that's what I do for the first 30 minutes every day. I sort of, I own my, I own my morning. I win my morning, win the day. And listen, I listen to all that type of stuff too. Like right. all this, yeah. I had previously in my life, say the first 30 years of my life, I'd rejected all of that. That's just what hype people do. It's just like just something that certain just didn't come up my radar. It wasn't an option. Then yeah. when I started messing with it after I'd tried everything else. <laughs> you know, I was like, I'm willing to do whatever works. Like, just show me something that works, right? Yeah. And then I found that improving your discipline and growing yourself as an individual, yeah. that works. And that pays off no matter what is happening with your life um, in the short term. That's fantastic. Uh, yeah. It, it does take a lot of discipline to do that. And uh, it hurts, but I think, I think you grow every day just by challenging yourself to do that i have a hypothetical for you yeah so let's say you're individual contributor you just got out of code school you've been writing code for a year and a half on your first team as an individual contributor yeah. and now you're going to have a conversation with this person and they're going to ask you how do they take that next step how do they they're hungry they want to progress but they they just need a little they need someone else to tell them Mm, I see. So let me ask you a clarifying question. Does a person yeah. want to continue as an IC or get more into involved with working with other people? They're unsure. Okay. Then I would, my advice would be go and expand your horizons. Okay. Um, I think being knowing and having a subject matter expertise really helps and, um, Winning over trust from your coworkers, um, of course, helps a lot too. I tell my engineering team um, at that, I guess, people at that level, like really try to expand, go beyond just engineering. So um, at the end of the day, you own that code. You own that piece of code. And so you have to first go upstream and talk to the product managers and, and you have to really understand why you're doing this. And why, how does this help ultimately the, the, the key result for the company that we want to achieve? And you have to have that understanding, then it'll motivate you better. So be the product manager, ask why, and ask how this is going to impact the company, not just your piece of code. And also one of the other things I ask them to do is swim downstream in a sense that, um, it's not you write the code and you throw it over the wall for QA to catch all your bugs. No, you own the bug. You own, um, you are responsible for how this impacts the business. And if it's a buggy code, then it's not, it's not for QA to catch it. It's for you to own it and be responsible and accountable for how that does. So I think I would just at least start from there understanding why and how do I make my code more robust. Um, I think there's a more cross-functional excellence that's going to be necessary where in a lot of times in many organizations, engineering organizations are fairly insulated in the sense that there's stuff they need to do and then the output's code. 
but then ultimately going beyond um, will help you and everyone else actually grow. Um, and then having that cross-functional excellence actually will make you very invaluable in any company. Um, I would also even ask and say that don't necessarily just put yourself into one box where you're an iOS or Android or web or backend. Don't be just that developer, but go expand further into other places too. Um, so for example, a lot of our, um, I guess web front end engineers really delve dive, uh, deeper into APIs so they can be a, a bit more rounded full stack engineers and be able to move faster in certain uh, themes of projects that we're doing. Um, so ultimately, I guess at that level, the important piece here is just expanding out and going beyond um, your, your IC bubble, but like pop that, go out and experience other people's, um, why they're doing things and how you can make yourself better there too. That's great advice. I like it. Let's talk a little bit about the company you're at today. 100 million downloads, right? Over 100 million. Yes. Japan and US, correct? That's where it's primarily at. Yes. So where did the coding start? Did the coding start in Japan or did the coding start in the US? Oh, in Japan. It was a company that's uh, founded in 2013 by Shin. Okay. Um, and uh, it was all in Japan uh, first. And US started about five years ago as well. Soon after, about a year after Japan, um, US started there. But it was more initially uh, a uh, effort to make sure it's, it was an offensive strategy in a sense that if we are successful in Japan, um, we have to be successful elsewhere because at the end of the day, companies that are successful in, in other marketplaces will come into Japan anyway. Mm -hmm. So that was the initial strategy. And uh, yeah, I mean, now um, we run US as a totally separate, um, wholly owned sub of um, Mercari HD. And of course there's um, Japan Mercari as well. And then of course there's Merpay, which started in Japan at this point already. we launched in February actually, yeah. So I've got some questions about Japanese code. First of all, do you speak Japanese? No, I don't. No, I don't. Secondly, have you seen the code base, the Japanese code base? Uh, I have, yes, uh, because it was actually a hard fork. Much, well, much of the back end is a hard fork from about a couple of years ago. Is it, what is it? Is it English? Is it Japanese? What's oh, the language? Well, yeah, so it, language is PHP, um, oh, okay. but a lot of the comments are Japanese. Uh, so but the there function are some... names themselves are were English. Yes, of course. Yes. Oh, very cool. Yes. That's exciting, right? Like, yeah, no, it is. It's exciting I, to know. Think... Most people don't. <laughs> <laughs> I think initially there was, uh, it was before my time, but initially a lot of uh, there was a harder, I guess, learning curve, especially because. Um, our code, of course, has been built up for a longer period of time. Um, and also a lot of the comments were in Japanese. And, uh, you know, when that happens and you don't read or understand Japanese at all, then it is not easy to at least come up to speed. Right. But we've been really trying to change that. And uh, um, so for U.S., we have engineers in Japan as well. And we also have engineers in Boston. Um, and because we are a sort of a U.S.-focused marketplace, um, there's a conscious effort to make sure that we're speaking Japanese, uh, speaking English, as well as uh, coding and commenting in English as well, and documentation, everything is English at this point. So I have some friends who've lived in Japan, been to Japan, so uh -huh. I've had some conversations about Japan. Uh -huh. And one of the things that they said is this concept of cleanliness is like well tied to Japan. Mm -hmm. They are extremely clean. They don't have a whole lot of trash cans publicly. They take their trash with them. And so my questioning as engineer is how clean was their code? <laughs> right? Like, was well, it really clean code? So um, we, right now, um, on the back end, so maybe at least let me separate out where we are today, um, which was really sort of our own code base from about a couple of years ago, as I mentioned. Um, 
So the front end code has all basically been revamped a while back because simply localizing what we have in Japan does not necessarily map to how people use the apps in different marketplaces. Mm. So the front end UX and UI is important. That's not just not only localized, but also have a, a localized experience for different sort of marketplaces. So that's been separated out from iOS, Android, and web. Um, more on the backend side, uh, we have a, a layer that is more of like an abstraction layer for all the, all the APIs. And from there, it's actually now going into different microservices. So we had one PHP code in the backend that was fairly big, and, and now we're slowly um, separating them out into smaller pieces such that uh, it's a lot more architecturally manageable and also uh, we can go faster in terms of building out different services. So going into that, I guess your question, the code brought us this far and a lot of people, I mean, there's of course discussions about is PHP the future or not, but ultimately my, my stance is we need to embrace PHP because as much as we love microservices and um, Golang that we're using for that, we also need to embrace PHP because it brought us this far. Lots of companies still use it. It's constantly getting better. And it's just another language that will make you, that creates a different service. So it could be part of our microservices. It could be part of not. And we're, as, as we're sort of migrating and making our backend better and better, ultimately, I tell my engineers, are you a good engineer or a great engineer? Because at the end of the day, you will be an awesome Golang or PHP, be it basic, C, regardless of the language it is. In order to be great, you have to create, understand what the, not just the requirements are, but why we're doing these things. And all the rest of the stuff that we initially talked about, they're just tools. They're just tools to an end where you wanna to get to. So, um, Again, like there are lots of people who are attracted towards the shiny new object. For me, it's like this is the shiny new object because it brought us this far. It made us a unicorn. We're making billions. So how do we make this better? And how do we continue to sharpen and shine it around it? And if we need to add other pieces to it, great. Doesn't matter what that, what that is. And as long as it's architecturally sound and we can scale it up, Awesome. So the code wise, like it's been amazing. Actually, it's surprising how well it's been done. And then it's surprising how forward looking we are too, because it's not just about setting it and leaving it. It's not broken. Just let it be. It's not the attitude. It's constantly saying, how do we get better? How do we improve? And right now I had to argue to a point where how do we balance it correctly so that it's not the newest and the latest, but also like making sure that it's robust and you know we can continue coding and we can continue improving it as well. So I, it's, it was actually very um, surprisingly well done when I joined, I would say. Excellent. I wanna bring you some value, so I've got a couple questions real quick. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. How many engineers do you have at your physical location where you are today? Um, about, I would say 50 or so. Okay. Like engineers, QA, like IT people, about 50. Oh yeah. No, current locations. Um, so we have offices in, uh, Palo Alto, Boston and Portland and also in Tokyo. But your office today with all the engineers. Okay. Yeah. Cool. The rest are like sales and support and stuff. Uh, yes, Portland's mainly, it's QA uh, and um, customer service. Mm -hmm. And uh, we opened our Boston offices uh, mainly for data engineering and machine learning. Ooh, that's the Boston office? Yes. How many people do you have there? Uh, we just started, less than 10. Okay, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this, my friend. Uh, <laughs> uh, I'm not collecting Salesforce data. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> what are you typing? <laughs> no, right. Well, I was at a conference 
like a couple of weeks ago and they literally said that part of their like this company's strategy is they would call people up to interviews and start like asking them questions and log their data and sell their data so that was in the back of my mind <laughs> because i heard some some company talking about that and so that's why it came out but uh, the reason why is because we have a lot of great engineers listen to the show we have a lot of great people that listen uh -huh. to the show the only reason yeah. the reason why we have our audience is they want to know how they can do better what's the edge you know how they can grow and yeah. so they like to find their tribe. And so we like to talk about the cool things that you're working on, um, you know, like the technology and then how many people you have and where you're located. And that uh -huh. way people, if they're interested, they can reach out to you. Great, great, awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we're, we're hiring, of course. Um, I think we, I was fortunate enough to uh, join a company that had very, very strong product management, um, engineering, QA, and of course, a lot of other, um, I guess, teams as well. And our excellence was really on the mobile side and the back end. And a lot of it was like very, very well done. We're constantly trying to grow, of course, iOS and Android uh, folks, and, and as well as back end engineers, microservices, and SRE. Actually, like I'm hiring every, <laughs> the, <laughs> the whole shebang. Uh, but I do believe like our next step function of growth comes from data and machine learning. Really, it's more about how do we automate and scale and move faster. And much of these things that really we're trying to do ends up being, um, I think more, more, I guess it's, it's not really legacy, it's still the way people do it, but there's some UX and UI and product and marketing design that come out and user experiences, we kind of put it into our app and services, we test it out, get feedback and iterate through that. I think there's sort of another uh, way of design that's coming these days is really sort of how do we even abstract that further into the next layer? And I think a lot of companies are already doing it, but uh, ultimately you want everything that you see on your, your phone as well as your desktop to be personalized. And what that means is uh, things that you click on to, for, for us anyway, things that you're looking at to try to sell um, would understand what kind of interest you have, of course, and then making sure all those view components or modules uh, are constantly updated and it's not just sort of static page of things that you see all the time, but even those how and when they show up should be varied depending on your, your activities and your input to the system. Um, we're doing the thing uh, I call uh, modules to models. So every module that we have um, on any kind of device or surface or even different channels like email uh, should be a version, some version of a model, meaning it should be something that is not a static thing that a human being puts in, but it's something that should be machine generated and constantly iterating and learning. Um, so from emails, from transactional emails to even just your homepage that you land on, all of those modules that we see should be something that is really based on your preferences that, that needs to come out. And in order to do that, there are two components that we have been historically lacking, which is more about data engineering and machine learning. And that's why we're really trying to invest further into that, um, those two fields. Uh, data, because ultimately we need stuff that comes in and we gotta clean that up and then serve it up to the, the other data science or BI or, or ML engineers. And then ML in a sense that we work closely with the product managers and understand sort of what kinds of pieces of questions and iterations and tests that we need to do. Uh, and then put it back into the system and then so that it can iterate and more automatically. Ultimately what it, this means is that a lot of the coding that we're doing um, hopefully will be, be get easier and um, updating of the apps become more automatic. And I think that also calls for different types of product managers as well as QA engineering because it's not about tapping and testing if that functionality worked or not, but you have to sort of go another layer up, meaning like if I did this and I saw 
these results. If I saw this module and supposed to tell me that what I want to buy next, how do I know if it's working correctly or not? It's complex it's hard. Test case, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So like, like, how do you, how do you know if A is better than B? So then the QA has a, needs to have a different thinking for that. And of course, product managers who are more traditionally about UI and UX and making sure that um, the tests, A-B tests are done correctly. How do we make sure that all these, you know, not just pixels, but also functionality is being uh, worked out well. Then you got to start adding on, like, how do we scale it and how do we create the right model for it? And also means that understanding how classifiers work or some fundamentals of data science machine learning is also a necessary tool set they need to have so from those by, by growing that sort of brains and muscles i think we need to we're trying to expand out so that it becomes prevalent in all of our services um, very soon and then can you just tell me a little bit about the company's actual end user product the problem that you solve mm -hmm. yep um, so the app is called Mercari, M-E-R-C-A-R-I, um, -E <laughs> for those, just in case uh, you don't know how to spell that. Um, it's, it's a selling app. And um, basically, well, let me just step back. So if you think about a lot of, I guess, commerce, e-commerce applications or services, um, eBay, for example, it's really geared towards buyers. So you make buying so easy. And if you look at Amazon, like you, know, you can do a one-click buy, one-click checkout. We've optimized everything so that you can search, discover, browse, and find stuff that you, you want or didn't think you wanted, <laughs> but you need now, and be able to check out very, very quickly and, and pay and get as fast as you can and have that delightful experience. So everything historically has been sort of geared towards buying for the, the consumers. Uh, what we're trying to do is flip that around, actually, which is, becomes a not just very interesting business problem, but also a technical problem. So how do you make buying, I mean, as easy as possible has been a historical question we asked, but the question now is how do you make selling easier than buying? And that's not just for the merchants or power sellers, but for everybody. So for every consumer that, especially in the U.S., we have so much stuff in our house and it, it's it's a hoarding culture and i think it's not well philosophically i don't i'm not so sure it's healthy it's not healthy for me so i constantly try to minimize and try to keep things to you know what mari kondo does is like is this does this spark joy and i think that's a wonderful sort of test to see if something that that you own i mean it's not so whatever that you have it's either it has to be useful, it has to be valuable to you uh, in some way or another. And everything else, maybe it needs a different home. And so we're really trying to enable that. In order to make that happen like as frictionlessly as possible, we need people to be able to make, have an experience where selling is easier than buying. So that's really our, our missions. Like, how do you make it so that if there's a one-click checkout, what's the equivalent for that such that people could sell their stuff at home? And then lots of not just technical but business issues and operational issues come out and that's where things get start to get exciting um, and of course lots of different experts coming up with their tool sets and we're all together and trying to figure out what the right set of solutions might be for everyone else um, like i'll tell you i'll tell you this you're sparking mm -hmm. a big interest in me right now because so many times i've thought i should sell that like it's probably worth 60 bucks or something but i'm like yeah. i have to take the pictures and the Craigslist and I can't do it on yeah. my phone. And then if I go on eBay, there's like, I have to register an account. There's like this huge, like overhead to me selling it. I'm like, you know what? I just throw it away. It's not worth my time for $60 <laughs> or give it <laughs> and my wife do something with it. Or, you know, like we'll figure something out, but it's just the, the, there was a lot of sales resistance. There's resistance to me right. selling it. And so I just, right. I just don't. There's so right, much sales right. resistance. There's physical eBay stores. That's how much sales right. resistance there is. You guys should be like, we're trying to knock them out. It shouldn't be that difficult. I hope that's in your pitch deck. <laughs> yeah, no, it's that's what we're we're ultimately. It's like anything that you think can find some other home. Like, how do you make it so that you can just 
point your phone at it and maybe not even press a button, just open the app and point your phone at it. And there are lots of technologies um, and innovations that are happening that will better understand what the thing is that you might want to sell. We also make it easy and you know, we launched a partnership with UPS where we call it pack and ship. You bring your stuff to UPS and just drop it off, scan and get out and that's it. And then if you think about it, like lots of like amazing back end, back office things needed to happen for that to happen. And then it's magical now for the users. And I, I love that because it's not just sort of technical excellence, but it's operational excellence, business development excellence. And uh, to make this happen, and we're using all sort of tools of the trade that we have in order to win the marketplace. Some of the other things that, that differentiate us is that it's all logistics based. So you don't have to like meet somebody in a dark alley to get money and trade the stuff. That's good. Like, yeah, like you just basically ship it. Everything's shipped. That's my data um, so, I track. I minimize my dark alley experiences. <laughs> one of them would be zero, negative one. I'm in the sunshine all the time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I think there's lots of sort of things that we've done is that, that has a pretty high bar in terms of buried entry that makes us unique and wonderful. Well, especially the 100 million downloads. Yeah, yeah. I, I just like amazing. Um, I, I've only joined since last May, so I'm still like less than a year. But then when I look at the history and, and hear about the, the, the rise of, of Makari uh, uh, in Japan, uh, especially, just, it's just f magical, magical, phenomenal ride. Like to, from quickly going from, you know, zero to one, like very short amount of time, first unicorn to come out of Japan, uh, you know, U.S. is doing phenomenally well, and I feel like we're just getting started. Um, and uh, we've built so many defenses, or it's an offensive defensive strategy, where it's not that easy for any company to come in and play. So it just makes it like an amazing place. Um, and of course, I mean, going back to sort of the, the, the hiring piece uh, that we were talking about before, the thing that I love about Mercari is that it's our culture. I think that that was like, that was the deal and, and maker for me is that like you talk to everyone here, everyone's just so smart, so dedicated, and it still feels like a very small startup uh, to a point where it, we can get stuff done. So there'll be a meeting, we discuss, think about something and we can deploy almost like in a day. That's now we're doing, especially in the apps, like every, you know, we have a weekly deployment schedule. Uh, I think we can go faster if we need to. There's continuous deployment on the back end. There's not just engineering, but like the overall, just the companies, the culture that we're building has been just phenomenal. That, you know, I, I, don't, I don't ever want to leave. <laughs> there you go. You don't have to. <laughs> and I like, I like your history too, because like, insight it's always 2020 right but you did payments right like paypal then you did you know stuff with uh samsung and payments and mobile and ebay and that type of world now you're back in like your mobile excellence and payment excellence and shopper connection it's like it, it always seems beautiful in hindsight but i do have a question about the app without having used it yet yep um my initial thought was it would be so cool if i could like take my phone and like point it at that wall and it like mm -hmm. object identified different things and told me like how much I could get for a use mm -hmm. estimate. Mm -hmm. Do you guys do that? Coming soon. Coming soon. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I, Cause like you see on LinkedIn, you see like on social media, like they're all the, the detection, the object detection technology is pretty good and yeah. it's pretty accessible. Yeah. You know, it's yeah. like you have the data of how much the iPhone goes for or how much this like style of cup goes for yeah, you yeah. can show me like an average and i i could just point my room around the house which thing do i want to sell yep what yep. do i want to sell right now no, that's right so i think combining it with ar um as well as so i think object detection um that's fairly uh, mature technology um some of the things that are more difficult is sometimes if it's a collectible, it doesn't depreciate, but it appreciates in terms of value. 
And also it depends on who you ask. And so it's, there are lots of little uh, parameters uh, that affect this function and, and including timing. So um, in terms of like pointing and understanding what you might have and what kind of value you can get, like we are also, we already have pieces of all that. We're already putting it together. We'll see if it's going to be useful or not. Uh, and many times that people just know exactly what they want to sell and, and, and click and, and sell it, be able to sell it. Some of the other things that we want to do is again, like, as I said, like flipping the buying thing around to selling. If you go to Amazon, you can, there are things like, oh, you bought this. So you might want to buy this. What if you flipped it around and said, hey, you sold this. What if you have some of other things that people typically sold as well? I like it. So putting those like uh, without being too freaky. Or, yeah, or without creepy. being weird. Yeah. Right? So just making sure there's a gentle sort of um, notifications or reminders of things that you might also have and motivating you to sell it. And especially when you add a value to it, these people bought this thing that you might have for this much. Boom. All you got to do is you know, take I a picture. It. Boom. Yeah. So it's lots of very interesting um, technical to business challenges that we're unearthing as we speak. But yeah, coming soon. Some of my future ideas make better commercials, right? <laughs> like you see the person <laughs> yeah. pointing around the room and then like you point it at the wife or the dog and like something funny happens. Like it's like no or something. Like, <laughs> exactly, yeah. Right? Like you're pointing from thing to thing. It's telling you its value and then like you get yeah. something you can't sell. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. You know, yeah, yeah, you you will certainly see pieces of that being tested very coming coming soon. That sounds fun. I'm I'm really excited. Thank you so much for coming on and hanging out with me, talking about technology, sharing your views on leadership. I love them. We're similarly aligned in our views on leadership. So I'm very grateful you came on and hung out. If I'm in your area, I'll let you know and stop by and say hello. Absolutely, absolutely. And please do, uh, Joel. It's been a pleasure. Uh, thanks for your time and. Uh, you know, hopefully we can do it again sometime. Thank you so much, Moak. You have a fantastic day. You too. I'll talk soon. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to help, please take a moment right now to open up the iTunes app and leave a review of the podcast. If you take a screenshot of the review and text it or email it to a friend who needs to listen to the podcast and then CC me, joel at moderncto.io. If you see me on the email, I'll send you a copy of the Modern CTO book or give you a shout out on the podcast, whichever you prefer. We're trying to get listed on the top 100 for iTunes and I need your help in order to do this.